Well, David, all right, here we go. Uh, Memorial Day weekend 20, uh, 2020. A lot has changed uh, with only one major sporting event coming into this weekend. Unlike the uh, – there's always a big race. I believe it's – what is it? The Indy 500 normally run on um, – Monday. Monday of uh, Memorial Day. But this weekend we have Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning taking on Tom Brady – and Phil Mickelson, the Clash of the Titans, you know, two powerhouses uh, from two different sports going at it on a uh, – on a. Uh, I guess it's a skins game, isn't it? This one, I do not believe it's a skins game. I think it's match play. It was like straight up hole wins. Last week was a skins game, I believe. Yeah, it was with uh, Rory and Dustin and Ricky and uh, his buddy. Yes. The other guy. The other guy, the, the guy who just seems to be bombing the ball three ten with um the corky swing. Yes, it was it was interesting. I didn't watch much of it. I was getting ready for uh the uh, Jordan Last Dance final uh final two episodes, which I got to be honest with you, it was incredible. Obviously, it looks like there was a bit of a you know a fable thrown in the mix with the uh, PizzaGate, as uh as we someone was saying. Um, I just listened to another show earlier today and they were talking about, they were talking to Sam Smith who wrote the Jordan rules. He goes around the team pretty much the entire time. And he basically said, it may have been altitude poisoning, but you know, whatever it was, Jordan still played phenomenal um, in game five. And then obviously had had probably one of the best sequences in sports history. The last like minute and a half uh, in game six. Think about that. He hits the shot. They go. They what? They cut the lead to one. Is that correct? Cut the lead to one. Then he makes the steal against Malone, and then he goes down. And you know, was it a push off? I don't know. You know, Jordan seemed to know his opponent, so might have been just a little uh, uh, love touch, and uh, kept him going, and uh, knocks down the shot, and finishes off the back to back to back repeat for the second time in eight years. What was your thoughts on the whole thing? How did you think it played out? I, I thought. You know, as a young fan at that time, as I, I think I would have been nine and a half years old, basically, so nine, almost ten, whatever you want to say. You know, I've always been a basketball, you know, fan to the fullest, one of these people that thinks they know everything about the game, you know, everything about everybody. I'm not talking about my knowledge being better than people, but just kind of just knowing, you know, your basic knowledge and just knowing a lot about a lot about the league. You know, it just kind of really brings you back and makes you realize how many different dynamics were going back then when you're young and you just kind of took it for granted, at least for myself, that, you know, Michael Jordan for me was almost in a sense a superhero because you're talking nine, ten years old. So when I really was following him five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you're you grow up in this model of it's Michael Jordan's right and it's the NBA's right, you know, or Michael Jordan's right to win. An NBA title, like you almost can't comprehend when you're at that age of anything else in the world going on. But Michael Jordan wins the title, and that's and it's easy, and that's what's supposed to happen. And you kind of realize, like, how much work went into it, how unstable the whole situation was, how toxic the situation really was. Um, you know, 20 years later, whatever it is, 22 years later, you realize, like, this was really special. And Will something like this really ever be emulated again where they basically win six out of six titles when MJ plays full seasons in a row? And the answer is probably no. 
David, let's not forget this. There was no load management or any of that nonsense that uh, Kawhi Leonard and so many of these superstars like Ben Simmons, they uh, where they where teams now put block dates where they're not playing because they need to rest their legs or anything like this. As you saw, Jordan was playing between 38 and 42 minutes. Sometimes he was playing every, every all minutes uh, the entire time. And you want to talk about a, a guy who just counted on – his teammates not to let him down and guys knew their roles on the team. And that was, that's what I thought was the best part. He was obviously, he's a special individual. Um, he's the alpha male. Um, he's the one percenter. And, you know, that's why, you know, I'm glad they didn't really dive into like what happened with the wizards when he came back in 2001, but seriously, he was the general manager and part owner. And he was probably going to practice every day. And it's like, you know what? I can beat these guys. And that's what he did. Probably. I think Jordan. Yeah. And I think today, Jordan, there's still some of them that he would like to probably go out if he could still compete at that level and show those guys, you know, I can still beat you at 55 or 56, however old he is. I loved it. I grew up, you know, a Sixers fan, diehard, but every round, I always said, I was saying this to um, Spencer, the one to, uh, recently, I said to him that you didn't understand. Like in the second, the Sixers would get by the, in the field, they'd win the first round game and they had Johnny Dawkins and, and Hershey Hawkins, who was one of my favorite shooters of all time out of Bradley. Uh, but at, a great Midwest school, a, a great Midwest school, you know, um, so a lot of great people come out of it, Bradley, I agree. In, 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 including Hershey Hawkins. Uh, great player. And, yeah. And they had Charles on the team and Mike Jaminski. Um, and they had like, whether it was Charles Shackerford, Armand Gilliam. I mean, they had just a slew of four men that just could not compete and hold up against like the Bill Cartwrights and, and whether it was Horace Grant or someone else, but they'd always get beat in the second round. They always got beat in the second round. So it was hard not to grow up in the shadow of like Michael Jordan and going everything he had. Like, I mean, the Gatorade commercial is the greatest commercial I think of all time. I dream my move. I dream my groove. I dream I shoot like Mike. If I could be like Mike, you know, I think that's like one of the, I wanted to drink Gatorade because of Michael Jordan. I wanted to do it, you know? I, I definitely agree with that. And it's funny you say that. And this is like a little bit off subject, but it was like when you say you want to drink Gatorade because of Michael Jordan, think about the, the two years that he took off of basketball, whatever you want to call it. I remember it's 94, 95. And I don't know if you remember it, but Shaq was big into all sport. Um, yes. I yes, I, I do remember that. And, you know, Shaq kind of in that time, even though Olajuwon, you know, was the best player. You know, they, they win with the – who's that team? The Rockets. But, you know, Shaq kind of takes over that big role of the sports drink there. And, like, out of nowhere, I'm a seven- or eight-year-old kid, and I'm telling my parents, buy all sport, buy all sport, buy all sport, you know? Yeah, and so, that's understandable. And so it's it, it kind of goes back to that point. You know, it's almost like what Michael did for that industry in general today. Well. The funny part is one of the things that I, I got out of it was the tremendous amount of respect he had for his mother and his father um, who were, were the backbone for him. I mean, they really were. And it was great seeing his mom being interviewed as much as she was during the documentary. I mean, David, you and I still have have great parents and we're very close to them. And generally speaking, when mom and dad still say something at my age and at yours, I'm sure it weighs heavy on what we're going to do. You know, it's, they have that influence and because we have that trust and we have that belief in them and uh, they've never done us wrong. And it's kind of funny how in the very, in the first episode, how David Falk, his agent was like calling his mom and saying, I don't think he's getting on the plane to go see Nike. 
And she's like, oh, he's going to get on the plane. You don't have to worry about that. So he's like, now he says he's tired from the Olympics. He says he's tired of the workouts and everything else. And she goes, he will be on that plane. And, you know, he went out there and obviously, let's be honest, the rest is a, that's probably the greatest move he's ever made. You talk about the greatest shots he's ever made, but that's probably the greatest financial move he ever decided. The guy's worth over $2 billion. And without a doubt, and when you think about, basically when you really think about the effect of Michael Jordan, for, forget the greatest financial move he ever made. Is Nike today Nike without Michael Jordan? The answer is, I think, most likely 95% no. No, your problem. Existent the way it is today. You're probably absolutely correct. I 100% agree with you. And you think about the guy. Sorry. Like, it, it's kind of, it's mind-boggling to me where I didn't even quite realize how important he was to the growth of what you know as basically the titan of all apparel in general, not just shoes. No, and you're absolutely right. And let's not forget this. I mean, I knew, first of all, that the, I never had a pair of Jordans. They were ridiculously expensive. They were like over $100 back then. And uh, as much as I dreamed of them, you know, I, it just wasn't one of those financial decisions we were going to grow, we are going to make in, in our household. We never cheated, but, you know, we didn't have the Jordan. Now, we did have Jordan, like, you know, T-shirts and stuff like that because, like I said, he was the best. And even though you're in Philadelphia, it was hard not to be drawn to that. And, and I'll tell you this. I think one of the things that I think I, I, I like most about it, and today, you know, athletes take different stances on everything else. Michael was about basketball, and he focused on the game and – he never really mixed certain things. And I think he got, he's he gets criticized for that, but what where athletes today, I think they're more open to take a stance on certain, certain subjects, whether it's, you know, commenting on the president or anything else, mm-hmm. you know, they're not as respectful. I don't think they're as respectful today as they were back then. I, I think the, the, the one part of the documentary that kind of irked me the wrong way was the, the whole they go into that five ten minutes about Michael not speaking up and then it's still like Michael doesn't say what he is one way or the other and he really hasn't he, everyone can have their opinion you know but still like you know ESPN gets a narrative out there that still paints it at you know Michael definitely is leaning one way but you know he won't say it and it's like you know yeah and and ironically let's be honest based on what I think I saw and what I heard he was leaning the way that, yeah, leaning the other way that goes against ESPN's philosophy and and uh, many of the athletes that they've made a lot of money off of showing their games, especially most recently. Yeah, you know, I, it's it was kind of that was the one part of the documentary that if I said that I could have lived without that, really could have lived without that ten minutes. And people could say, well, it's really important. To me, it was kind of sickening in the sense of you are trying to paint Michael Jordan as something that. I really don't think he is. And it's like, you have now taken this great documentary with great content. And I can't figure out for the life of me, what that was really like, what was the importance of that? It like compared to not talking about his wizard years or something like that. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that. Then why not talk about the wizard years? It was just an agenda based segment that I could have lived without. No, I absolutely agree with you. You know, but you know what, again, that's, based on today's athlete where they're so quick to comment about everything without knowing all the facts. I mean, we're not going to go down this road, but it's just so funny about where we are today based on one country's decision and how 
the NBA hasn't taken a, hasn't said anything negative because they realize that China is the market that that they've grown they've grown a lot in, in lately, and you know they're looked at. It's all about money, you know. I saw a number today that basically projects, and I don't know how this is going to work because it seems like every team is going to be flying over the salary cap next year in the luxury tax, right? And you know, I don't know if teams are going to make amendments or whatever to the luxury tax. You know, all this good stuff. The NBA salary cap is like destined to be thirty million dollars less next year. Yeah, because like they're not making any money. Around. There's not. They're not making money, David. No. They're not making money this year. They so, really aren't. You you wonder like the owners could even want to pay you know are they going to make amendments to the salary I mean not the salary cap but to the luxury tax like hey like we were never projecting to be thirty million dollars less and now we're going to have to pay a tax on this why well, I mean let's be honest David there's over thirty three million people out of work yeah. several several people who go to the NBA Sixers games and and all the, i guess across the board the nba games it's an expensive ticket it really is mm-hmm. it's easily over 100 uh i've sat in seats where they're 600 a ticket they're uh, 1200 for floor seats david there's 33 million people out of work people aren't paying their mortgages right now how can they expect to make those ticket sales next year and, and moving forward without coming down on prices you know mm-hmm. Like you, you know, my family—they go to Seton Hall basketball game season tickets, and they, you know, whatever the tickets are. But like when it's all said and done, you know, forget the face value. But you know, with co- my family's alumni there, so you talk about donations, all that. Basically, the ticket comes out to about eighty-five to ninety dollars a ticket. You know, it's still actually, and for a family you, of four, that's three sixty right off the bat. When, when you actually break it down, you actually, you know, when, when it comes down to, it, it's probably about that. You know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that people aren't. I don't know if they're going to be that quick to jump into a stadium where they don't know if the guy next to them has Corona, you know? I mean, and I would say I would call my, you know, my parents like pretty like low worry when this stuff, like I'd say low worry, like they're, they're very careful, but it's like at the same time, they don't think everything should be shut down, but it's like, they've already told me we're getting rid of our gym memberships, you know? Okay, David. So let's go back a couple months ago when this thing started uh, 10 weeks, about 10 weeks ago. Um, Tell me the moment when it hit you. That oh my god, this is something serious. Um, the moment it hits me is when yeah. you were in a different place, weren't you? I, I was in. I was in. I had just gotten into Vegas. And what were you there for? I was there to watch the watch the Pac-12, Mount, Mountain West, or whatever, all the conference tournaments in Vegas with my good friend Tyler from Texas. Because this is a month. This is a yearly trip that you and Tyler and I had the experience a couple of years ago. To witness the madness that goes on, absolutely too far. You're a former player. You were a part of the Northwestern State NCAA tournament team. What was that? 2013. 2013. Yes, we made the tournament. Um, you've you've been a part of college basketball from that aspect as a player, and then as a coach. Most recently at St. Benedict's Prep, where you guys finished number one in the state. You know, you were part of the junior college circuit down in Florida. So you love the game, and there's let's be honest, there's nothing better. And right when the virus hit, it's it's my favorite time. I think it's your favorite time. I think it's favorite time in terms of because you got the weather that's starting to change. It's starting to get warmer. Even though I don't know, man, it hasn't really got much warmer in the Northeast. It snowed on Mother's Day. Uh, today was, you know, we haven't had days over eighty yet consecutively. So and where next week starts uh, June. So David. Tell us, tell us, how was Vegas when you get, we got in there, what, Wednesday night? I got, I got in there Wednesday night. 
um, you know, actually scooted over to watch um, Colorado versus Washington State. And the, the arena was half empty, you know. And, like, at that time, just when I get into that arena, you know, it's like, you know, everything's going around. Rudy Gobert got in Corona. And then NBA suspended season. And it's like, kind of like, holy cow. And, like, and for the most part, that's when they were, you kind of knew that most tournaments were going to no fans, but the Pac-12 hadn't. So that's why I got my game in. And, you know, there were like eerily no fans in the stands. That's why I was actually fine with it because you're not around anybody. Sure. So let me ask you. Okay. So the next 12 hours, when, when does Tyler arrive? He arrives Thursday morning? Tyler arrived around, I would say, 8 o'clock um, Pacific time. So eight, 11, 11 o'clock. 11, 11 o'clock. Evening, yeah. Okay. And here they're already talking about no fans in the stands. And the. Let's- Big East is about to kick off their tournament, yes. correct? So, so, like, to give like a synopsis, you know, Tyler comes in, I would say, eleven o'clock, and at that point, like, him and I had talked. Like, he said to me, "Dave, if um, we'll know in the morning if they're canceling tournaments, I'm just not going to come out." You know, mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, no, that's fair." So, you know, he gets on his flight, which would have been maybe like five o'clock. We'll call it five o'clock Texas time, um, Central time. Sure. And at that point, still nothing. Like, just everything had talked about, you know, no fans everywhere. He was like, yeah, well, you know, we're fine. We'll, we'll just watch the tournaments. Gets there, you know, lands, still everything's a go. And, like, everything's a go on Twitter. Like, you know, like when I say Twitter, like, all the reports are coming off Twitter that everything is a go, you know? And yeah, then, and then all of a sudden, boom, it then, seemed like a trickle effect. The domino effects started happening. I remember happening. the time, if I'm not mistaken, it was 11:53 Eastern time. You get the first report: the American Conference has canceled its tournament. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I remember Tyler is next to me, and we're sitting there in the Caesar's Palace, and and we're looking at the screen. He's he's to my right, and he always does this thing where, so for some reason, he always sits to my right, never to my left. I have no idea why. Just hits me in the right, like it hits me in the arm with it, like hits me. I'm like, what the, I'm like, I go to the, I remember my reaction's like, what the F, you know? And he's yeah. like, he shows me his phone and you start seeing American. He, he updates it again. It's Jeff Goodman. I think it's, um, the Mac is, um, postponing it an hour temperature checks for everybody. Um, you know, 20 seconds later, ACC cancels, everything cancels. It was like, it was crazy. Everything cancels. And the funny thing is I read, I not read it. I heard an interview with the, deputy commissioner of the the big east and he says they're getting all these like notifications that everybody's canceling but supposedly like mark emmert was on a phone call with all the football conferences that the big east wasn't privy to okay which makes well i guess because football is not a powerhouse in the big east anymore so basically like you he, the way it was described by this i forget what his exact name was he basically describes it as you know like the ACC is on the phone call, the Americans on the phone call, the Big 12 is on the phone call, you know, Pac-12, SEC are all on this phone call. And they're like trying to get in this phone call, trying to figure out what's going on. And supposedly Emirates had canceled the tournament, like the NCAA tournament at that time. And it was going to all come out in a press release in a few, like 
you know, four or five hours later, you know? Yeah, because it was funny when you say that, because even though it, was, it, hadn't, it hadn't come out yet, and Duke and Kansas had already decided, well, we're not taking part in the, in the NCAA tournament. So they it was do. like, okay, okay, all right. No tournament now because Duke and Kansas have bailed, you know? And, David, let's be honest. Prior to this, this might have been one of the greatest years in college basketball because there was no d- definite number one. You had Dayton that was number one at one point. Gonzaga, the, the year of the mid-major that could happen, they could they could have done it. They could have finally cracked through and, and win the whole thing this year. Uh, I, I mean, me personally, I thought um, like if I was going to pick, I thought Kansas had the best team. But like if I like, but I thought Gonzaga and Dayton just had as good a chance as anybody. I thought Villanova was right there too. I thought Villanova by the end of the year was playing as good as anybody. I thought maybe personal, but I thought Seton Hall had a puncher's a real puncher's chance, you know. Yeah, it was pretty top heavy. You had Creighton in there. Uh, uh, Yeah, Creighton was injured by the end. Like they, like even if you remember Creighton, like they're playing St. John's and they were losing by like six at halftime. And and that was the last college basketball game played this year. So the funny end of that story was that the basically they find out like. According to them, like nine seconds before they actually tipped the ball, like that's what he said, and they didn't know what to do. They were like discussing pulling him off the floor in the first media timeout, and then they were just like, "It will look really, really bad. Let's just let the half go." And then you know, go. yeah. Then Val, then Val Ackerman kind of stepped up and was like, "Okay, everyone else just did it, so we'll, yeah. we got to pull it too." Yeah, it so was they, in- they had made that decision at the under sixteen timeout, and they almost pulled them off the floor right then and there. It's crazy. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was listening to Jay Wright that Friday on who's obviously the Villanova head coach. Um, he's tremendous, by the way. I think I think Philadelphia is very, very lucky to have Jay Wright. Uh, I mean, and he, he's just he first of all, he's he's such a people person. He, he, he he's a great representation of Philadelphia. Um, and he was talking. He's like, yeah, well, you know, we go up there because we're supposed to play on Thursday night in the opening in one of the opening rounds. And um, we're getting ready to go over shoot around, and they're like, you know, everything's getting canceled. So we kind of tell our guys, you know, kind of hang out, go back to the room, you know, we'll figure this out. And then we're trying to figure out what's going on. And then immediately it's like, well, well, hold on, it's going to be suspended. But for how long do we go back to Philadelphia? What's going on? And then they immediately just canceled it because people kept asking, well, have they gone over shoot around? Were they in the were they in Madison Square Garden? Because this goes back to Rudy Garbert had just played up in New York uh, a couple nights prior, um, and they just they didn't go. And then they got back to uh, they got back to the, to the hotel, and he goes, "David, you've been around it. You know when coaches have schedules, or guys were meeting sure. at this particular time. You know, it's like we didn't really have an answer because we didn't know what to say." And he goes, "It's kind of awkward because our guys are like, we don't know what to do." And David, I'll be the first one to tell you. So. Uh, it was that Tuesday night uh, prior to prior to everything getting canceled on Thursday. I took my dad and my uncle Don down to the Flyers game. Now my dad hasn't my dad hasn't been down to the Flyers game in a couple of years, so we go down there and obviously it's at the uh, Wells Fargo Center and Flyers are going for ten in a row and it's a, it's packed. It's eighteen thousand people are in the arena, and we're not thinking anything of it. Obviously, you're hearing reports throughout the week. Corona, it's going on. This is it's getting serious. And I remember being down there on a, the previous Thursday night with a couple friends, and we're sitting there. And my one friend Bobby Crawford goes and says, 
Josh, do you think the NCAA tournament is going to be canceled? I said, Bobby, that's crazy. It's never going to happen. There's way too much money. There's too many. That's just not going to happen. It's unheard of. And he said, okay, I, I think it might. And I was like, Bobby, I don't know what short you're looking for, but there's no way this is going to get canceled. So, David, on we go through Wednesday, and, you know, obviously I reached out to you, and you had already gotten down there, and, you know, and you were in Vegas. On Thursday morning, I wake up. I, I'm doing my regular job, and it normally takes me an hour and 10 minutes to get to uh, this little particular location. And I'm on the Schuylkill Expressway. And I call my father up. I said, Dad, this is pretty weird. It took me 23 minutes. It normally takes me to get an hour and 10 because no one was on the road. And that doesn't happen in the Schuylkill, uh, on the Schuylkill Expressway on a Thursday morning. And it really hit me. I started getting scared and worried. And uh, because I thought maybe I put my father at risk. I thought maybe I put my uncle at risk because, you know, they're older. They have health issues, you know. But, you know, knock on wood, I guess 10 weeks into it, you know, mom and dad are still healthy. And several people that I know are very healthy. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> we planned this thing a while ago. but It's getting kicked off tonight, which is great. But so, okay, so go back to where you're in Vegas, and now all of a sudden everything's getting canceled. What, what happened? Their team's still in there. Did you see the teams leaving? Did were people like running out of the uh, arena, or out out of the out of Vegas, just trying to catch flights? Yeah. So like um, like that Thursday, like I tried, Tyler and I actually tried to get a flight, just go right back home, and you know, the flights were insane. All right. And mind you, going in, just to, just to preface this story, like, you know, going into Vegas, my flight in, I literally had a road to myself, but not just one row, the whole, the other side too. Like, not that I need all that room, but that's just like how empty the plane was, you know? Sure. Because like, people were starting to get scared at that point. People were starting to stop, you know, traveling as much. Like that week, that Monday, people started to really, you know, start kind of taking it real serious in the media and you know, whatever so then couldn't get a flight out and yeah people were there but also that like supposedly like their biggest convention that they have like was in vegas at that time like it meets once every three years i want to say it was like some sort of a farmer's convention or construction convention like it only once every three years you know so vegas was packed that like that thursday and they were all leaving that friday morning anyway so it it was still pretty packed but like itself like the casinos themselves though were kind of empty but like the common areas were packed okay and but and there was there was no mask at this time no one's yeah, wearing a mask you, you, you see a few people wearing masks but no yeah and to where we are today we're obviously we're still in the hotbed being where you're in northern Jersey, how far are you outside of New York City? Fifteen miles. Okay, yeah, and I, I live just outside of Philadelphia, but I mean, it's crazy because I go from as you. I don't know what you've done uh, in terms of your daily routine, but my walk is like almost a nine mile walk that I look forward to. That since I was since I'm no longer playing any sports because nothing is open, but I do carry a mask and I do wear gloves, which is odd because I would never do that. I would never go for a nine mile walk prior to this, you know, and um, it's definitely changed a lot of perspective. I mean, they would, we have stores where we have to wait outside of lines just to get into something where we, for just to run in and grab milk at Wegmans, you have to wait on most days to get into these stores and you have to be six feet apart. Um, it's like, it, um, 
you know, when you think about stuff like that, it's like, you know, you talk to my parents and they're like, don't go to the store that's more expensive now just if they don't have to wait, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's I, like, there, it, there's, like, we have a shop, right? I don't know if the, the what your grocery stores are, okay? So we Wegmans have, is popular. Okay, so, yeah, we have shop, right? We have a one Wegmans, but that gets really crowded, and there's something called Kings here, okay? Yeah. Like, shop, right? I wouldn't say it's Wegmans, but it's kind of like you're in between Wegmans and Kings. Like, Kings is kind of a little bit of a smaller store, but it's definitely gives you, you can do all your grocery stopping there. It's maybe a little more of a premium, you know? Sure. Yeah, but this shop right here, it's like every day, it's like you look and it's, you look around, you look at the line, you're like, wow. And then you got to look around the corner and it's like, it don't stop. You're the kings, there might be one or two people waiting, you know? So it's like, you know, they basically have decided for the one, two, three dollars more that they're paying or maybe through their whole bill, 10 to 15, it's like just worth it for the time. It's interesting because on Sundays, my mother and I will go to uh, Altamonte's, which is this Italian delicatessen. And they have about 10, 10 to 12 people that work in the store. And then they only let another 10 people in. And it's, yeah, there are lines. And David, I got to be honest with you. I feel safer in those stores than, I don't know, like you go over by a Lowe's and, yeah, there's a, they're not really monitoring anything. People are coming in. I've never seen Lowe's so busy than I have in the last, last two months. Oh, I agree. I couldn't agree with that assessment more. I went to, you say Lowe's, I went to Home Depot the other day to exchange propane. You know, we're grilling every day, basically, or every other sure. day. Like, you know, you know, just co- basically cooking everything at home. And, I mean, even on the outdoor area, I mean, I have never seen more people <laughs> at Home Depot than I have ever seen. And yeah, like out there. But the grocery stores... Yeah, God forbid we let one more person than ten than ten people in the store. Well, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So what? It's absolutely. It's not managed very well. Let's just say that we have one extreme versus the other, and and it's terrible because it's not Um, food. It's where like it's like well, why don't the rules apply to here? It's because they don't care because people are so narrow. Not people like as and but like. I would say management becomes so narrow-minded. Oh, we're not food. This is not essential. Like, just anyone coming in and out, we're not going to be that busy. Well, I mean, that's the other thing that we'll get into at some point. Like, what was con- what's considered non-essential and what's considered essential? Like, I, I saw an antique store. They were, they were busy. How is an antique store busy? With all due respect, you know? And how are bar- – I mean, David, I haven't had a haircut. I've given myself three haircuts since this pandemic, you know? Um I don't know. Things are definitely changing slowly. I know Governor Wolf is slowly going to open the doors. We're going to go to yellow, which whatever that means, uh, next uh, next week. I don't know. Have Jersey kind of said anything where they're at? June fifth, and they uh, on June fourth they're going to reevaluate. Well, it's going to be interesting. I think over the next couple of weeks to see if there's actually a spike that comes out of this. Because if there is, David, I'm going to say that we're in some real trouble. Um, however. If there isn't, you know, it's time to start opening the doors. It really is. I think we, I think we've been cooked up for a while. Uh, you finally hit it tonight with, uh, say, getting this thing started, uh, um, and it's going to be really interesting. But there's some. We're going to talk some. We're going to have some great stories. We're going to talk about a couple of mental health experts um, that they'll be brought on soon. Also, talk about various industries that are going to be hit on. But there's one story that I'm looking forward to, Sharon. And you are too. He's a former roommate of yours uh, up at Notre Dame Prep. 
and James Sutherland and where he was when this took place and how it's affected his whole family. Why don't you tell us a little bit about James and his family and how how the Sutherlands have been affected? Well, I can't necessarily I can tell you more about James. We'll 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 the brief synopsis of from the outside looking in without speaking into their words is the Sutherland family went to obviously I went to Notre Dame prep. That's not obvious, but that's where I went to my last year of high school slash prep school. I, one of my guy who lived next to me, James Sutherland, went to Syracuse a year after Notre Dame prep. You know, played in the NBA for a little bit, was in Japan during the time of this whole outbreak or what you would call the stoppage of the world, you know, where everything just kind of stopped. So he was playing professionally in Japan. He did he was probably stuck there, I would say, off the top of my head, I would say four weeks, five weeks until he came home. You know, so definitely he's going to have a perspective on what happened over there. You know, I think they tried to restart the league a couple times. It just didn't. Um, his sister, Sabrina. She's, uh, a, she's a rock star herself. She is, you know, as James. Three-time All-American. James will always tell me he, you know, you're thinking about a guy who's in the NBA. You're thinking about a guy who is all Big East type of player for basketball, you know, play at Syracuse, playing professional, playing, you know, at the highest levels professional outside of the NBA. And he always goes to me, I'm not even a good athlete compared to her. I mean, you're talking about three-time All-American, like you said. And, and, that, and that's one, running and track and track and field. And track and field, yes. Track and field for the four and the 800. And you're done. And it's like no BS is like right there in line to be in the Olympics. And probably with the tradition of what you see with the U S track and field, I don't know all the times from around the world, probably in a very good contention to win um, maybe a gold medal. I don't know the exactness of it, you know, but probably medical medical <laughs> contention. If you come from U S track and field, if you're going to compete in the Olympics, you know, and the mere fact is the Olympics were canceled about a month ago. So yeah. Sabrina's, has uh, had her world turned upside down. And the other key, the other amazing fact is this. They live in New York. They live right in the city. And their father, James Sr., uh, is a is a radiologist for for um, one of the New York hospitals. And we're going to get him on. And we'll discuss what he's seen and how things have changed for him over the last couple months and see if what he sees moving forward and how things are changing in the right direction, hopefully. David, it's going to be exciting when we get this thing started, and we're getting, obviously still launching it tonight, but we've got a lot of great stories. Like I said, we're going to talk about some different topics, such as education, um, bring a couple of seniors on, that class of 2020 from Upper Dublin High School, and they're going to talk about where they are, uh, if they're going to take the year off, like so many kids are planning, from what I understand. Uh, a lot of kids are deferring this year because they don't, they don't, they're not ready to go back to college and see, where, see uh, how everything transpires with that. We're going to talk, obviously, um, the film industry and have a couple people that are involved with that and how that's really changed and how the setup's going to be going through. And then, obviously, the, we'll see if there's any – see what good has come out of it. And I know it's hard to say during a pandemic, but what if what are some of the things that – With the bad, there's – with good, there's bad, bad, there's good, you know. Yeah, and we'll speak to different people with regard to that and how, how maybe we've grown as a society over the last two months. But – um. I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have a great show. I think it's going to be a great kickoff to a fun, fun time. So um, 
I appreciate us getting started, David. Uh, I think yeah, it's good. I think you did a great job with this. So why don't we uh, till next time? Till next uh, time and the changing of the times. Yeah, let's keep going.